Hey folks, welcome to episode 276 of the FLW Bass Fishing Podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White, joined from Norwalk, Iowa by the one and only Kyle Wood. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Norwalk, obviously a fantastic place to be. Um, was I in Iowa or Illinois over the week, over last week? Which state is it? Uh, when you were in Pool 9? Yeah, that's Iowa, right? Yeah. I want to say, whenever I entered Iowa, I was overcome by the beauty of the state, and I just felt like this is where the Kyle lives, and thus, it's a good place for me. <laughs> Although, I well, did have uh, to check about where it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's okay. That happens. Um, but you did spend quite a bit of time in Iowa. I, yeah, I did. I mean, I spent most of the time in, I don't know what that section of, like, backwaters is that's below the dam or below the spillway i don't know if that's mississippi or not mississippi i don't know if that's wisconsin or minnesota i'm pretty sure iowa is kind of further south on that pool it is yeah Um, i spent most of my time there but yeah i did you know put in a few hours down in iowa for sure um (laughs) but anyhow uh we have i would say a pretty good show Uh, i went fishing this morning so like i should be nice and chipper um Kyle is in the midst of a very brief uh, respite between tournaments before heading off to uh, the shores of Lake Erie, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we are going to talk about the uh, Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit Super Derby on the Mississippi River. We're going to talk about horsepower. Uh, we're going to touch on Wheeler Lake. Um, we are going to definitely preview Erie a little bit. Um, we will wrap up the bfls some other tournaments and uh before we do that we're gonna have kip carter on to talk about his win on wheeler lake and uh hopefully get all the lowdown from that because he did it out of a unique boat and the fishing was pretty bad but he actually caught him pretty good and uh it was a one of i would say the cooler wins and probably one of the less paid attention to wins of the season considering what else <laughs> for was sure. going on for sure for sure uh but anyhow Kyle, I guess we should probably just throw this over to Kip, eh? Let's do it. All right. Well, here is uh, the one and only Kip Carter. All right. And now we are joined by Kip Carter, uh, most recent winner at the uh, Toyota Series level. Kip won down on Wheeler in the Southeastern Division event. Uh, Kip, man, congratulations on the win. Yes, sir. Thank you for that. Huh? Um, very, very blessed week. Dude, that's for sure. Uh, it looks like... You know, the fishing was pretty tough, obviously, uh, but you're not really any stranger to fishing uh, tough places in the south in the summertime. You know, you've pretty much been around the block on that front, and I think the last time I took pictures of you on the water, it was probably at the Potomac, and I think you were probably like a mile or so up a creek, you know, basically past where you would think people would be, and so... The way you won this, it sure looks like uh, it looks like you were really back to your roots. Yes, sir. It was it was pretty similar for sure. And uh, you know, as, as you said, I I don't I don't know. You know, I guess it's just my style or whatever. I, I tend to my track record tends to be a lot better in the tougher tougher fishing. You know, uh, tournaments. I, I don't I don't really tend to do as well whenever it's just a slug fest you know um so i don't know why that is i guess it's just 
just just the way I fish, maybe, you know. All right. So, so let's see. You uh, give me the um, give me the lowdown on how you caught them in this event because you weighed 15 pounds in the last day, which was a huge bag uh, in that tournament. I know. Yeah, it was. Well, uh, you know, I'll start you in practice. I I went over there and uh, <clears throat> had a real 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 tough practice, obviously, and um, checked. I don't know. I checked back every creek. Um, at least two thirds of the creeks on that lake, I'd say, <laughs> and and got bit in nearly every one. But uh, you know, I I this particular one, I had three or four bites in, and that was the best thing I had going. I I had no clue. I mean, I, I really thought I could catch five in there. You know, at least the first day, and I didn't really know i guess caught me a little by surprise on what what was actually in there and uh but anyway nonetheless first day of the tournament i took off and ran in there and and uh started off with a spinnerbait caught my first one and and it was just you know it got real slick real quick sun was sun when well, no, i excuse me it was cloudy that day uh but it was real slick not not much wind and yeah, I couldn't get another bite on that spinnerbait after that initial fish and picked up a white swim jig and went to catching them. And uh, I believe it was my third fish in the boat was, was nearly a five-pounder. I think it weighed 414 on this. When I caught that one, you know, I knew I was around some decent fish. It made me feel pretty good. Caught number four, my trolling motor went out. So Ouch. <laughs> I called the tournament director and, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I still don't know what's wrong with it, but thank goodness I had a spare one in the back of the truck. Called the tournament director and you know cleared it with him, made sure I could come back and get it. And he said that was okay. So I ran all the way back, swapped it out. Uh, lost about two hours of fishing, I guess. Ran ran right back to my spot, and my fifth one in the boat was a three and a half pounder that day, and. Uh, so that was most of my bag. I may have got a cull or two, a small cull or two after that, um, with most everything coming on the white swim jig. Then the second day, <clears throat> you know, I started off pretty much the same way and could not get bit at all. I think I want to say I was about two and a half hours into the tournament before I ever caught my first one, and uh, actually just had to pick up a little worm and flip it around, and and I and I caught me five when I slowed down. They just they just wasn't chasing that day and uh I uh I had about seven and a half pounds and I I knew I needed you know, in my mind I was like, Well, I need ten pounds to get that get into the top ten, I really felt like. Which it wouldn't have took that much. But anyway, that was my goal weight and uh when I when I caught my fifth one, um, like I say, which was only about a bag of pound and a half fish, I went back to throwing a frog swim jig things like that and and, and again just was not getting bit and then it dawned on me there was probably two hours left to fish uh the second day and uh or maybe even an hour and a half it wasn't long and i i thought to myself you know i wonder if they want something just i wonder if they'll bite something buzzing you know over their head something i had not tried yet i had buzz bait laid on the deck for two days basically and had not thrown it 
quick as I picked it up, I, I was I was getting bit again, and sure enough, I catch good three and a half pounder, you know, and that that cold me up a good coal, and I knew at that point I hit my goal weight or pretty close to it, and then then with about 15 minutes fishing time left, I caught a caught one that was a little better than four, so that's where I ended up with another 13 pound bag that second day, but. Yeah, I remember looking at my co-angler and saying, "I think I found something there biting," <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, you did." So, and then day two—that's the, the day—that's the day you took the lead too. So, like, you moved in. Yes, yes, sir. You moved ahead, and you knew, like, when you were catching them on the final day, you knew that things were happening. You weren't trying to make up ground. Well, that's right. I was in the lead, and and not only that, but I I felt like I had found something that that those fish were really keying in on at the end of that second day which was that buzz bait so needless to say that's that's what i started off with in my hand the second day and uh within the first 15 minutes you know mr rob newell was with me with the camera and i called a uh just a 14 inch keeper with the first fishing boat five minutes into into the tournament and uh five minutes later i catch a four pounder so it really set the pace that last day um, but then I went through a long dry spell actually, and, uh, probably that lasted about an hour and a half before I caught number three, but, you know, just having those two fish, just, just set the pace, keeps you calm, you know, uh, keeps you confident. It's just huge. So, yeah. but, but when I finally got number three, I catch three pretty quick, hit a little flurry, I guess you'd say, uh, with another one of those being a close to a four pounder. You know, it's kind of weird. It's like I'd catch pound and a half size fish, or you know, good fish, like four pound class fish. There weren't you know, I never, any two pounds. I never caught. I never caught. I may have caught one or two legitimate two pounders, but I never caught like a two and a half or just three pound chunk. I never caught any of those size fish, uh, which was kind of odd. But I'm not complaining. But uh, so, you know, I had, I guess, about 12 pounds. I was feeling pretty good about my odds. You know, you always feel like, in your mind, you're always like, one more. I need one more. You know, I need one more. And yep. It was just a good day that third day. Uh, probably, again, with about two hours of fishing left, I did catch one more. So I ended up, the difference between that third day and the previous two days is I ended up with three of those good fish uh, and two of the smaller ones. You know, and that's what get me out there. You know, I had... 12 12 and a half pounds on three and then i had two pound and halfers go with them and that that's kind of what my bags were looking like each day you know so okay um now it was all about that buzz beta yeah what what kind of clued you into why to make the buzz buzz why to change to the buzz bait or was it just a matter of I just you weren't catching them and you had to pick something up <laughs> I did, you know, I I wasn't, I just wasn't catching them. That, that second day was what it was all about. That was by far my toughest day, and it and I just couldn't make them eat. You know, you could tell they just weren't feeding. Uh, and I think I think the buzz bait simply was making them react, and and that's all there was to it. I mean, they just when when it was buzzing over their head, they just you know they they didn't have any time to think about it, and they just were reacting to it around little pieces of wood and. You know they were there. I knew they were there. Um, and then, you know I don't I don't know 
that paid a bit anything else. <laughs> That's um, cool. They were really cubing in on that on that buzz bait. You were throwing a buzz bait with a toad. Do you? I, I ask this of a lot of people. Do you ever throw a buzz bait with a skirt anymore? I feel like that's just a thing you know, of the past. It, well, I'm going to tell you, and this is just me. I actually prefer a skirted buzz bait. Um, I, I don't know why. It's just a confidence thing. But, it, you know, the difference between the skirted buzz bait and the toad being on there is you can skip, you can skip this one. Yep. with the toad on it you know and that's and that that was a necessity where i was fishing i just wasn't gonna be able to put that skirted buzz bait you know up under those overhanging limbs and 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 stuff once there was a lot of you know in certain places i was fishing um and that's that's the biggest difference for me but i actually prefer a skirted buzz bait still you know i may be alone on that but i i've told people i I still feel like I actually catch bigger fish on that skirted buzz bait, you know. Yeah, I don't. I'm, it's kind of. I don't think you're alone on it because yeah. I've seen. You know, it seems like the the buzz obviously having the ability to skip and just and to cast a buzz bait with a toad a lot a lot farther, you know, in different situations. Like that's a big plus. But I mean, I've watched Zach, Zach Burge throw a skirted buzz bait a bunch and. You know, it seems like the guys who are really good buzzbait anglers, they've got, I don't want to say a sixth sense or something, but there's, they know there's a time and place for both. You know what I mean? That's, that's correct. That's exactly correct. And I, I, I definitely utilize both. Um, <clears throat> so, tell it, me. it's more of a. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I well, was gonna... I, I didn't. It, I've already said it. It's just more about where I can put that one with the toad on it. it. When I'm throwing the one with the frog on it, it's it's a castability uh, thing. But if I can if I can get away with the skirted buzz bait, I'm I'm throwing it over the toad. That's just me. Okay. Um. So tell me about your boat because this was a big week for boat <laughs> drama in bass fishing. <laughs> As you probably caught, uh, but for one, I gotta know what graph you had on the console. I am zooming in on it. I think it's a Lawrence, <laughs> but I don't know like at all what yeah, year. I don't it's, even it's know if it turns school. on. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, it turns on, but it's just the old school uh, five twenty that was in my garage, and uh, I haven't even got a working transducer in that boat, so it's for GPS only. Nice. That's very John um, Cox. But. Yeah, yeah. So I uh but I'll tell you, you know, the boat the boat got a lot of attention obviously. Um you know, it made a made a lot of story in itself on the wind, but but I will say this, you know, I I took it out there in practice hoping to find something that you know, other other guys was not gonna be able to access with a big boat and uh and but I didn't. I, I'm telling, I, I got to be honest, I didn't. Um, but, you know, I was not, I just, I just, I, I toyed with the idea about going, excuse me, all the way back to get my Ranger, but I guess, I guess the lazy part got a hold to me. I just, I said, <laughs> well, I don't feel like driving five hours to go get my Ranger, but every, every fish I weighed in, I could have, I could have caught out of my Ranger in this, 
last week and that's that's just the truth in this particular scenario but uh I read in anyway. Rob said in the story that the advantage of the boat wasn't so much like just the sheer you could get to fish that other people couldn't because like you said you could get to all your fish it was more like the short moving around and just I guess kind of the ability to be mobile and you could run where somebody else might have to idle for a hundred yards before they could take off or something like that like did yeah, that, that did that kind of did, is that kind of where it played or was it much more it just looked really cool <laughs> i think it just i think it just looked pretty cool in this scenario i mean i you know i i'm trying to what's the right words for it i uh i don't i don't i don't think it was an edge last week at all um you know i i can i can run around in these places that i don't know without any worry I don't, I'm not a local, I didn't know how to run them correctly, you know, uh, so, you know, it, it, it helped me out, um, from that standpoint, but, uh, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't getting anything that was unaccessible for a fiberglass boat. Yeah, I mean, Rob could stay with you to take pictures, so that's, uh, that's proof enough. Yeah, that's right, that's Uh, right, yes, sir. One thing I wanted to, one other thing I wanted to ask about you know, when, so like when Cox won the cup there, he was obviously way, way back in a creek and like mm-hmm. he had some duckweed, but mostly he was targeting like duckweed and wood. And then that same cup, I think Wheeler was fishing like basically the area that you fished or similar to it and mm-hmm. was fishing around a lot of these pads and stuff like that. What was your cover mix like? Was it, was it just wood and pads and bank grass and just anything or were there certain types of cover that you could key on a little better no it was it was wood it was everything just named uh there wasn't it's funny there wasn't really a strong key i mean i i definitely caught some good fish you know on on some wood seemed like it needed to be isolated my all my biggest fish come off of uh isolated wood you know it'd be out on a flat or something like that you know um this last day uh those pads that you saw in some of the pictures rob took uh was where i started and caught that first good one um but but there wasn't a ton of pads really uh they were using them but you know there, there wasn't enough around me to just concentrate on those all day um it was just more it's just more area deal you know there was there was bait there was um good good water depth everything everything a bass needed you know did you have uh did you have a lot of other people fishing around there um like was it you know there was was going back into the creeks really popular or not so much no, it was pretty popular. In fact, uh, you know, several of the other guys in the top ten were were fishing similar style. Um, there may have been one or two doing the offshore thing, um, but yeah, it, it was pretty popular pattern last week for sure. Okay. And oh. I did have some company. Uh, you know, there was a, a few guys that didn't make the cut that were running in and out of there, and and. Uh, and the guy that was in second was visiting some of my areas during the day, but I don't I don't think it was his 
not that finished second. He was in second going into the last day. He was uh he was he had a different primary area, I believe. So I did have some company. All right. Well, I think uh, it was a very impressive win because you won by you know a really solid margin, uh, which is tough to do in the summertime when the weights are going to be low naturally, and uh, you did it in a cool way. And uh, I think that was it was one it was a tournament that you know the field wasn't huge and that sort of thing. But like man, I wish I had been able to pay full attention to it because what was going on was pretty cool. It was, it was a special week, yeah. It, you know, it just it this everything was just clicking. I don't know, maybe not. Just one of those special weeks I'll never forget. So, there, I don't take them for granted because I've been doing it a long time. <laughs> they they don't come around too often. So yeah, well, that's what I wanted to. That's my next thing I wanted to ask you because we're uh, you obviously you basically have. You fished with FLW for a long time. I think one of your first yes, events was in uh, 2000 as a co-angler, uh, maybe even before mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. you've, in like the early 2000s, you fished the big leagues for a while. You fished a lot of the, uh, back like 2005, 2006, you fished, you know, the Toyota series, which was probably the Everstarts back then, or maybe Stren. That's um, correct. And then you took some time off, yes, and you fished a bunch of BFLs, and you made all Americans like at a ridiculous rate. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Uh, I guess you're driving around job site to job site now, or I think you were yesterday. So, what do you do for a living now, and kind of what's the status of your fishing career? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I do drywall for a living. I have a drywall business, so. You know, whenever I was back so in if early you're around Georgia you and you need drywall home, done, call Kip. <laughs> that's 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 correct. Um, I it's it's all I've ever done since I stepped out of high school, basically. But uh, when I was piddling with the some of the bigger tournaments before uh, in the early two thousands, of course, you know, then the economy crashed and business went down at at a tanking rate and i just I, you know i never had sponsors so I, I paid my own entry fees so that was the obvious reason i i couldn't continue the fish um and i i have not fished i don't know exactly you can probably tell me but it's been 10 years uh since or so since i've signed up for uh any you know any bigger tournament above bfl's um, yeah, I think in 2011 you fished been, the Southeastern Division, and uh, you did really good. You finished third in AOI, like, but it's been 10 years. And I believe that's the last year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so right on at 10 years, and, um, you know, I mean, business came back for several years ago, and, and it went from not issue of having the money to do it, but having the time to do it. Um, so... I finally, uh, finally decided to fish this year, and uh, and thank Lord I did. It's been a good decision, obviously. That's for sure. You know, did that? Uh, did the schedule being so much uh, more centralized and having all these extra divisions did that play into your decision a lot, or was it more a scenario where you saw the entry fees come down a little bit and you were kind of looking to fish something bigger? 
Yeah, I mean, everything in combination, I guess. Um, I had been wanting to do it. I almost did it last year, and then almost did it the year before, and then I'd get busy, and before I know it, sign up, sign-ups had come and gone, and I was like, well, I'll just pass, you know. And, but this year, I just didn't let it get by me. I, uh, I knew I wanted to step back out, and I actually wanted to fish the, uh, I guess it'd be the Southern... I can't remember what it is. Yeah, it was Southern, that Florida the, division, the basically. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I actually were was wanting to fish that, and but it had more conflicts with some of the BFLs and other tournaments around home I was going to fish. So, um, and that's that's how it all worked out. Okay, this is a maybe. I did. Oh, this is a uh, kind of maybe a side question, dude. I'm scrolling through your stats. You have won AOI in the Bulldog division a ridiculous amount. Um, this is just a side note. Uh, did you uh, did you qualify for the All American again this year? Um, I am going to Hartwell, yes, sir. All made, right. it, made it again four four years in a row. I've That's pretty good. Been man. Very blessed for sure. Cool. Maybe uh, maybe the law odds will kick in if I keep making it, and one day I'll win it. <laughs> well, I tell you so. what, you keep putting yourself in contention because I think at Cross Lake you did well. I remember at the Potomac you were in the hunt because we were going looking for you, and if we're going looking for you, that usually means you're catching them. So that's always a good thing. I think that uh, I think you know at some point it's going to happen. Um, now, well, I, I was just going to say it's just no different than last week. You just you just got to have everything work out for you, you know. And when it's when it's clicking in this your time, it's just like you can't do any wrong. But in between those times, <laughs> it seems like it's the hardest thing in the world to do. I hear you. So, um, I guess my uh, my last question, man, before I let you go, is there anything? Uh, is there anything you want to plug, or you know, anything, anyone you want to shout out? Because uh, it's your time. Yeah, well, you know, just uh, my family's always been very supportive of this, and and I appreciate them. Um, um I've only got a rod sponsored, Big Bear Rods, and they're they're great rods i've been using them for 15 years and i wouldn't use anything else myself i so uh you know and you uh you guys at flw you know for throwing great tournaments of course we got a bfl this weekend and i can't wait we got a bfl at oconee so uh, all right one of my home lakes so maybe we'll keep the ball rolling <laughs> all right well kip uh thanks for coming on i appreciate it and uh good luck this weekend Yes, sir. Thank you. You have a good day. All right, Kyle. I think uh, right off the bat, we ought to dive into the Mississippi River. Um, mm -hmm. It was a pretty phenomenal tournament. Like, the fishing was just so-so. Uh, but Tom Monsor won. He beat Jacob Wheeler to do it. Um, there was drama on a number of fronts, uh, basically every day of the tournament. Um, yeah, there was. <laughs> Ron Nelson uh, expanded his angle of the year lead. All hail. And uh, the weather was also basically perfect. And Dude, it, it was gorgeous every day of that tournament. And I only got out and pushed, uh, I think only, like, maybe twice in practice and twice during the tournament. So, that's not bad. Hey, that's not, yeah, no, that's not bad at all. Uh, I never had to get out and push. However, I had a boat driver the entire time, and I wasn't there in practice. So, 
that kind of skews my numbers a little, I think. Yeah. Also, weren't you in the Black River like half the time? No, really, just the final day. I was around Goose Island. I would say okay, the majority of the time. Okay, that's a pushable place. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, having a boat driver is helpful. Um, uh, my boat driver and I did get quite stuck on uh, day two of the event. Um, I was honestly not sure how we got as far as we did up on the sandbar. Because um, looking <laughs> back, like once we when we came back down and we went on the correct side of the channel, uh, we were like, man. We got up that thing pretty good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we got it off. And uh, all's well, then's well. Uh, anyway, what do you want to take away from this? Because I feel like, one, you were much more connected with the event than I was because you had cell service most of the time. <laughs> and yeah. I spent most we, of my time... We had in, you, like, quarantined down in Pool yeah, 9. Yeah, I was in Pool 9, <laughs> and, like, I would send a text. I would, I would have these little bursts where I could communicate. And then I had other stretches where I would send a text and wait like 12 minutes for it to maybe send. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, the tournament, you know, like you said, it, it was definitely not the Mississippi River. Um, a lot of, like, guys, like, some guys struggled was, to catch keepers, which, yeah, and I that mean, shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case. Based on, um, I mean, based on my experience on the Mississippi River, <laughs> that is the case, but, yeah, obviously we have seen tournaments where that is extremely not the case. Yeah, it, it was just, um, it, it was a little weird. It was low. Um, the river was coming up as the tournament went on, um, which I don't think like really necessarily helped to hurt anything. There's a lot of guys talked about pressure the river's received this year so far, you know, whether that be from more people spending time on the river, like, you know, a lot of fisheries in the U.S., so um Monsoor boiled it down to the fact that there are like millions of little tiny shad, like the size of your thumb. And in like a couple weeks, they're going to get a little bigger. And when they get a little bigger, that's when the bass really start keying on them. And that's when they really start chewing. So uh, he thinks, you know, pressure and sh like too much bait almost is part of the problem, which is kind of a normal thing on the river that like the size of the shad, like as they get bigger into the fall, the fishing tends to pick up a lot, but, uh, you know, we did see a lot of guys frog fishing. That was kind of the majority, not the majority, a uh, large portion of guys that did well had a frog in their hand at some point. Um, obviously, Tom Monsoor did not. He was, he did catch some on a swim jig. A football jig was kind of his deal. It was really interesting that, like, the offshore stuff was kind of what played for Monsoor. And I guess when I say that, like, they're basically little rock piles or little kind of rock humps, uh, little gravel bars that um, were kind of along the Black River. He fished some stuff on the lower end of Pool 8. He started his tournament in Pool 7. Um, the coolest thing, I think, just from a Monsoor standpoint, was that in 2017 when we were there, he had a terrible tournament. And uh, he got hung up on the fish he was on because he was on like four and five pounders, which is insane for the Mississippi River. Uh, he was on big ones and then the water came up a whole bunch and he just kind of like got spun out this tournament day one, he goes up to seven catches like two fish. His schools are all messed up. They're gone. And instead of panicking, he just says, you know what? Time to go practicing or, you know, fishing a little bit of history, yeah, time uh, to but be he Tom basically just started. Yeah. He just started doing stuff and it was super cool to watch him play it loose like he wound up narrowing it down to the black river the last two days 
but that wasn't really what got him to the final day. You know, he utilized a whole chunk of pool eight, like almost top to bottom. Um, you include some seven. He thought about going to nine one day. Like, it was really cool to see him pulling on years of experience, running around and fishing stuff where he's caught big ones before. And, you know, he still caught a lot of fish. A lot of them weren't keepers. You know, he had some 50 fish days. He had one day, I think he said he's caught almost 80 fish. Um, a lot of them were small. They had to be 14 inches to keep. Uh, there's a lot of 12, 13 inches. Um, but yeah, Mansoor did it with a different version of a jig, but still a jig nonetheless. And, uh, that was pretty cool. He, uh, he really fished it a lot like Jacob Wheeler fished Chickamauga. Yeah. A lot like yes. Brian Thrift would have fished this hypothetical tournament on Norman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Where even if you're on something, that's great, but also there are so many other... When you have somebody who's truly incredibly knowledgeable about a fishery, there's so many other things you can do and add to it. And yeah. like, he did that the whole time. Yeah, it was also really interesting... On day three and day four, he made a couple really key calls late in the day, like 2.15, 2.30. And uh, it, when we were doing day five, he, I was like, man, that's really weird. Like, it was a timing thing. Like, is that normal for this time of year when you're fishing this kind of offshore rock stuff in the river? And he said in his years of fishing the river, like he's 71, he, you know, since he could hold a rod, the dude was catching fish on the Mississippi. Uh, he said he's never seen anything kind of like that and the fact he was actually kind of surprised that he paid attention to it um and realized that it was kind of an afternoon bite on those spots because had he not done that jacob wheeler wins two in a row and uh you know keeps on that super hot streak that he's on yeah or maybe if monsoor doesn't fish those spots in the afternoon ron nelson's motor doesn't break down and then ron nelson wins (laughs) because so Dave, it's like a butterfly effect kind of thing. That's what I'm saying. It's exactly like that. You know, if you have a butterfly in Madagascar that flaps its wings to the left instead of to the right, <laughs> then it it's a whole situation. Because uh, obviously, like below, so Monsoor had 54 pounds, and then Wheeler had well 54.10. Wheeler had 52.14. So like about a two pound margin there. Um, Wheeler kind of came from behind on the final day because. Uh, David, the final day was definitely like the toughest day of the week because Monsoor yeah, yeah, easily weighed 14, 14, and 13 the first three days. Wheeler had 14, 12, and 12, and then 13 on the final day. Um, and then there were a lot of other, there were other guys who would have like an individual 14 to 16 pound day. Burge, I think, had the biggest bag of the tournament. He had 16 something. Yeah, 16, 6 or something. Walker on day three caught 15, had a really big bag. Um, Tyler Stewart had a 15 pound day on day two. Like, there were some big bags to be had. Well, let's not say big bags, but there were some moderate bags to be had. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was not, it didn't seem like. It, really, anyone could maintain that consistency other than, you know, basically Monsoor and then, uh, you know, Nelson to a degree, but he broke down on day three and ended up weighing in not even 10 pounds. So there yeah. went that. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, I don't know, it was, it was a cool tournament to me because of how many different ways there were to catch them. Like, there were all these variations of river fishing. There was what Monsoor was doing. Uh, there was 
just like sort of true frog and swim jig, shallow water, like power fishing, basically. Um, mm-hmm. There was, uh, so, so you had that, and then you had like all of the hardcover stuff, you know, like what Ream and uh, Hall and Wiley were Hall doing and... down in Pool 9. Yeah. Uh, you know, fishing basically. They had the they had the magic tree, which we'll talk about, but they also were fishing other trees, you know, basically just pieces mm-hmm. of wood in the water. Um, and then Meyer too was catching a lot of smallmouth, and he was catching those off rock down in Pool Nine. Um, the other, also like there were other people who caught smallmouths. Like I think Beavers caught Bradford Beavers caught a smallmouth. Um, yeah, he caught a couple. I watched. Uh, I watched Justin Atkins smallmouth fish a lot. Um, what he was doing was, like, very interesting and cool. Um, which is not like it's... I guess a lot of what he was doing isn't anything you wouldn't do. You're throwing at rock with a, uh, you know, on the river, on the main channel. But, like, what Atkins mm-hmm. was doing was most of the rock he was fishing, some of it was really obvious wing dams, like, really obvious stuff. But some of it was actually a, just a submerged rock pile, basically. Like, I don't know if it was part of a wing dam or it used to be riprap. I don't know if he graphed it or just saw it. But, like, he would have, you know, like, two rock piles 30 yards apart, and he'd fish one and then keep trolling right up to the next one and fish the next one. And, you know, sometimes with a Texas rig or something, sometimes with a topwater. Like, there were, there were some cool ways to catch them that weren't just with a frog, which was one of the... Maybe, like, the nice bonuses of this not being, like, a straight-up frog fest. Um, oh, yeah. Not that any time you're going to... Not that a non-frog tournament is what you want <laughs> in life. I would say, <laughs> ideally, it's a frog tournament in all scenarios. But if you can't have that, no, the, you had other things. The diversity was cool, and it was cool that all three pools uh, made it to the top ten. Uh, in, like, Wheeler still dabbled. He was probably, I guess, really the only one that played around in seven uh otherwise eight and nine were kind of the bulk of ten but still um the top ten guys used a form of all three pools at some point throughout the week which is kind of cool yeah because uh wheeler and monsoor both caught fish out of seven and then wheeler caught a lot of fish out of seven yeah he did Uh, not to keep talking too much about Ron Nelson, but Ron Nelson caught a lot of fish out of seven as well. <laughs> uh, and then Walker, Burge, Stewart were straight eight. Uh, Meyer was mostly nine. Ream and Hall were mostly nine. Scott Wiley was kind of eight and nine. And uh, Boutry was, was eight. eight. So, yeah, it was a good combo uh, for sure. I do kind of regret never getting to spend a day in eight, but once you once I knew how to get places in nine, it really made no sense to send other people down there because so much of how to cover someone in nine was how to get to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, should we talk about the tree, or do you want to talk about horsepower or something else? No, let's talk about let's talk about the tree first. The uh, nine drama. Yeah. So there was basically. The bulk of the, the bulk of the top ten and nine. Your uh, well, the relevant people for this conversation in nine are Kyle Hall, um, Clark Ream, and Scott Wiley. And hopefully, we get all this right. If we don't get all this right, bear with us because nobody has all the facts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyhow, there was a particular tree 
in pool nine that was basically there's like a winding section of uh, I'm trying to think who called uh, James Lindner once he called it like braided water I think and I really some for some reason that stuck with me as a good way to uh, and maybe maybe uh, maybe Stefan says that too either way but basically one of those areas where it's not like a flat, lakey, marshy kind of situation. It's the lots of little winding channels and stuff. And they're basically just fishing the areas pretty close to below the spillway from Pool 8. And there's this one particular tree where to get to it, you can run literally all the way up to it. Uh, it is terrifying to do so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, you can run all the way to it. But... This tree is in a section of the river that's maybe, like, probably 40 feet wide where the particular tree is. There's, like, a little backwater to the right and a tree, and there's a sandbar that's in the middle of the river with a deeper section on the left and a deeper section on the right. Tree is on the left. Underneath the tree, there's, like, a seven or eight foot deep hole. And Scott Wiley caught most of his fish on day one there. Kyle Hall caught most of his fish on day one there. Um... Wiley caught most of his fish on day two there. Hall caught most of his fish on day two there. I think also at some point in this, Reem is also catching fish here. But Reem wasn't going in the morning. He was going in the afternoon. So essentially, basically every day of the tournament, at least two, maybe three guys caught keepers off this tree. If any one of these guys had had this tree to themselves, I mean, I feel like the odds are very good that they win by, like, a pretty significant margin. Oh, yeah, man. Um, Absolutely. Unfortunately, all 70 fish or whatever that were living under this tree got split up. Mm-hmm. And some <laughs> of it unknowingly. Like, Wiley found out on day two that Hall had fished that tree on day one. Or, well, he didn't know that Hall had fished it on day one, but he found out on day two that Hall was fishing that tree. Mm-hmm. Then I think on day four is when hall found out that reem was fishing that tree as well and every time somebody found out that somebody else was fishing the tree well there were i wouldn't say consequences but there was some tension let's say oh yeah Um, yeah (laughs) and uh i definitely uh i watched my share of gopro clips and uh heard some folks you know not be super happy that their buddies well not their buddies that somebody else was trying to fish that tree uh But I was amazed. I had never, like, I guess I've had now two scenarios. Well, on the Mississippi River, where I've been unable to believe how many fish came from one spot. And one of it was a patch of pads that I showed you one time. (laughs) That Yes, that was insane. Um, Another one was that tree, where, my goodness, it is incredible to me that so many fish, and like quality fish, smallmouth, largemouth, you name it, lived there. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing to me. Because, dude, this tree, like, literally my boat driver and I trying to get past it the first day, we got stuck, and we're standing in ankle-deep water in the middle of the river pushing our boat off of uh, a log, and this tree is, like, 30 feet away from us, and the fish don't even, there. there's no way to know how many fish are down there, but <laughs> you knew that you were sitting on a spot that was going to earn guys thousands of dollars yeah it's 
That is pretty wild. (laughs) That is pretty wild. And yeah, like you said, man, gosh, if, if one of those guys had it to themselves, they probably like blow this tournament out because every one of those guys was catching like a good one or two. And I guess when I'm saying that, like a three pounder plus. Yeah. Like, so like if you, you could probably have 16 pounds a day off that tree and then, or you could have at least had 13 a day, which. Oh yeah. 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 And then caught a good one somewhere else, you know? And it wouldn't even take you a day to, a, all day to catch 13. Like, you could have gone to that tree and caught 13 pounds or 12 pounds in the first, you know, 40 minutes of the day. Yeah, probably. yeah. And then done whatever else you wanted. And, like, that's kind of what uh, Scott Wiley did on day one and day two and kind of to lesser effect as the tournament wore on. But, like, that was one of the things... The first, the day two, when I realized that Scott Wiley was like going all the way up this river to catch just keepers, and then he was planning on going back in into Pool Eight to catch his big fish, I thought to myself, "Man, this is kind of crazy. I mean, this is a long way to come up here. You got to lock through. You got to drive for like twenty minutes up all this windy thing." And then, in retrospect, when you kind of understand what the uh, what the potential of that particular tree was and how much of a sure thing it was, it's like, gosh, he should have, of course he should have done that. That was the smartest thing in the world to do. <laughs> and that was literally me seeing that tree the first time after uh, Kyle Hall had already fished it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was something else, man. Um, anyway, horsepower, our second controversy of the tournament. Yeah, horsepower. All right. Do you want to give us the brief uh, recap of this? Sure. So, um, Keith Pochet uh, fished the Mississippi River event out of a little tiny aluminum boat with a 90 horsepower. Let's set it up a little more, too. Former Elite Series Pro, current BPT Pro. Oh, yeah. So, Uh, I don't don't know. I'm going to check for sure. I don't think Pochet has a ton of FLW history. I, yeah, I don't think he does, but yeah, thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, so Mississippi River, uh, little aluminum boat, 90 horsepower motor. It's a slick little looking John boat. Uh, I think it's got a motor guide trolling motor. Uh, it's got like a helix on the console. I don't even think it has a graph up front. I love it. Coolest boat uh, in the Yeah. Time. Side note. It, super sweet looking. Uh, the problem is. Oh, I, I got to bring it up. Sorry. We need another side note oh, here. Yeah. Keith Pochet has cashed one check with FLW. Where okay. and when was it? Uh, You're not somewhere. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say, like, uh, somewhere like the Ohio River. He fished out Ohio River BFL. 16th place as a co angler in 2008 in the Dixie division of the. BFLs on Logan Martin Lake, 176 bucks. <laughs> All right. Which, by the way, this boat he was using, pretty sure it's totally legal in that BFL he fished. Um, but anyway, <laughs> continue, Kyle. Sorry. It was just too good to no. mess up. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Uh, so anyway, he rolls up to the Mississippi River in this little boat, uh, fishes day one, and then gets protested. Uh, and... Basically, uh, the boat he was running isn't a legal vessel at the pro circuit level. 
Uh, for the pro circuit, you need 150 horsepower minimum on your boat, and there's a 250 horsepower maximum. So pro circuit kind of has this range you can run within. Um, that is only for the pro circuit. That has nothing to do with series events. That has nothing to do with BFLs. That rule is a pro circuit rule. Basically, uh, because of that, he got his day one catch disqualified. And um, that's kind of when, like, the floodgates open. Yeah, it kind of broke uh, loose after that. Yeah. Basically, um, we put out a statement the other day kind of reiterating what the rule actually is. Um, and, again, this is only a pro circuit rule. Um I saw a bunch of people online like, whoa, oh, what about Kip Carter won in a smaller boat? Or they didn't say Kip Carter, but they were talking about yeah, or like the guy that won the series like, event. Oh, I guess they don't want us to fish, which like the point is that you qualify for the pro circuit if you qualify out of that boat. I mean, who knows? But to this point, nobody who fishes on the pro circuit like has complained about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's, I think, uh, well... The rule basically got put in place after 2012 when Cox won on the Red River. He had a 17-foot aluminum boat with a 75 horse on it. Um, it basically was like, A, uh, you know, bigger boats are probably necessary for guys uh, on some of the bodies of water we fish. Um, you know, like, I wouldn't be running around Poche's 90-horsepower John boat on Erie. Uh, I mean, you could. Heck, I wouldn't even do it in the bay. If, if it was blowing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that was kind of the thing. And people, oh, man, people got all kinds of fired up. And part of it is, like, people got fired up, and I don't even think understood why they were mad. They were just mad that this guy has a boat that's similar to theirs, and he got his catch DQ'd, which, you know, like you said, uh, people are like, oh, that's my boat. I have, if I can't fish out of that in FLW, again, this is only the pro circuit. So if you're one of our listeners and you got offended by it, again, if you don't fish the pro circuit, you got nothing to worry about. I think it's pretty ridiculous that people are so fired up about it because it's a rule. Uh, I also saw a lot of people getting worked up over like, well, when he went through boat check, you didn't uh, you didn't check him. Well, I mean, there's a lot of other things the guys on the boat check are going yeah, through. I mean, right? they're, they're looking checking live wells. Live wells. They're looking to make sure kill that switch. you show up. Kill, like yeah it's like not, that you're there <laughs> it's much more of a counting and sort of like also it's dark you a lot of times in the morning it was yeah most times it is dark when he went through boat check <laughs> it was foggy super like, foggy it, there are it could have very well been very difficult to read what his horsepower said also they're mm-hmm. not looking for horsepower it's not that you know not that if somebody paddled through you would say, hey, what's going on here, buddy? Why are you in a canoe? <laughs> but, you know, there's uh, there's stuff that you look for and there's stuff that you don't. And this is one of those things where it's not top of mind. Um, and yeah. another thing, Daniel Fennell, the tournament director, obviously, you know, it, it when it comes down to enforcing the rules, it falls on Daniel. And Daniel's not a boat check. You know, boat check is runs separately from where he's at during these events yep. in most cases the actual tournament director of the event is not actually doing boat check it's a combination of people it's a team effort so mm-hmm. you know to say that i don't know to say that it's really anyone's fault that he would be allowed to fish on day one without it getting caught like 
I feel like that's stretching it a lot. Based on, at least based on how every tournament that I've been at with FLW works. Like, yeah, we're not, everybody's not waking up in the morning, like, thinking, all right, how am I going to DQ a guy? <laughs> you're waking up in no. the morning assuming everybody's going to go fishing, and you just want it to go smooth, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you're assuming everyone has read the rules, uh, you know, and understands the rules. Now, I will say, Poche had a thing on Instagram. Uh, he acknowledged that, you know, he, it was kind of his oversight for not reading yeah, the I mean, rules. he definitely should. And he also rules. said something like he could do that in any other tournament he's ever fished, but, like... Bro, you couldn't do that on the Elite Series because yeah, you would have had to fish the boats. whole year out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way you're fishing the whole year out of that boat. So, yeah. you know, um, that's that. That's why, you know, John Cox, when he was at the St. John's, fished out of, this is an Elite Series thing, but fished out of his big boat and uh, didn't fish out of that sweet little backwater dream boat that he fishes so many tournaments in Florida out of. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, the other thing... And I think that Poche has kind of backed off on this a little bit. Uh, but the, I have seen some people say that there's that this boat is not an advantage. Like, it's a trade-off, but not an advantage. And I would say that... I oh, First of all, that's wrong. But second, I would say that given the opportunity, <laughs> like, I don't know, 70% of the field would have just swapped into a small little boat for this tournament? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, a tremendous if if everybody a if the boats if literally if tiny little aluminum boats were legal and everybody had them which not everybody has them and they weren't you know the horse from a horsepower standpoint they weren't legal like everybody mm-hmm. in this field would have been like heck yeah if they were fishing in pool lake they're gonna be like yeah get me in that little boat because yep for sure man on the mississippi river and you heard about how many times i got out and pushed like the whole point <laughs> is that that boat on that body of water is an advantage. And uh, he wouldn't have been fishing out if he didn't think it was an advantage also. And and I'm not saying anything, but also like Poche runs a little aluminum John boat anyway. Yeah. Like he had to double. Uh, That's the thing. He doubled (laughs) down. Like he already was in like the perfect boat. Like like, when I was out with Ormond, I was like, man, this is the perfect boat for here. And Poche already runs that boat. And he just, and even smaller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting, another uh, fun little bit of controversy from the Mississippi River. Yeah, but anyway, I think the takeaways are, uh, one, read the rules for any tournament you fish. Yep. That's key. Yep. If there are rules published, you should read them. Because um, I will say, there, for almost every tournament organization, there is a rule... There's probably one rule that you don't really expect, uh, no matter how many tournaments you've fished, you know? Mm-hmm. Because obviously most tournaments are kind of about the same, but there's little intricacies from one way or another. Um, yeah. So I'd say the takeaway is read the rules, and uh, I guess mainly that's the takeaway. And that you can <laughs> fish, if you want to fish out of a boat with less than 150 horsepower in a BFL or... Uh, Toyota Series event or whatever. Read the rules and then go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. If you qualify to fish the pro circuit, you're gonna maybe need to rethink things. But until that point, fish on, man. Yeah, I would say also, I I don't know what the BPT rules are 
you know, he's he seen Poche was said that he could have fished out of that boat in the BPT or MLF events, which I, I, again I'm not 100% sure either way. I wouldn't be surprised if going forward the rules become a little more standardized. Um, mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, that said, it wouldn't shock me if next year uh, BPT has a rule that says there's a minimum horsepower. You know, like I think that especially for pro anglers, it's uh, it's pretty attractive to have boats standardized to some degree because yeah, you know, yeah. on any lake, you're going to, not on any lake, but on some lakes and some tournaments, there are scenarios where one boat or another is a massive advantage. You know, uh, at the Thousand Islands event for the Elite Series a couple weeks ago, if Corey or Chris Johnston was given the ability to fish that out of a uh, 522D, you better believe they were going to fish it out of their 522D. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, if, uh, you know, if John Cox could change boats left and right, he'd do that. And uh, you, the last thing you want to do is fish a tournament against Atafo in the fall on Douglas and not have a boat that can run as far up the river as his, his boat can. So, like, mm-hmm. even if it kind of grates at the idea of, man, you should be able to run whatever you want, for the folks who are competing in these events and putting a lot of money on the line, it kind of makes sense to have some standards. Because otherwise, you can get... It, it gets to a point where somebody can win, in part by fishing prowess, but also simply because they have equipment that's totally non-standard and lets them do things that, you know, a regular bass boat can't do. Yeah, and if we, like, well, I don't think we need to get into uh, this argument, and maybe if you feel strongly about it, hit us up, podcast at flwfishing.com. Oh, yes, I also saw a lot of, like, oh, but guys can have $15,000 worth of electronics on their boat, but, like, you can't run a 90 horse. That's, like, a whole nother thing. Uh, But for real, though, you should email us uh, if you have any thoughts on that, because I feel like that's a whole whole nother category of stuff it is definitely another category of stuff um i'm trying to think i won't i won't i i think that it should be pretty recognizable that there's a difference between electronics and a boat um (laughs) at the same time if you don't think there is like get at us because i'm i mean i enjoy talking about rules (laughs) And stuff like that, especially when it comes up like this, because it's cool. Anyhow, to stay on the pro circuit track, uh, I would say the next thing we need to do is check in on basically our AOI and ROI uh, situations. Um, on the angle of the year side of things, it is blatantly obvious uh, that Ron Nelson, our hero, is uh, crushing life and probably going to win AOI. <laughs> Yeah, I would say it's uh, looking uh, looking pretty good for him. There is a great story up on FWFishing.com um, about the, uh, you know, given an AOI update situation. He has a 73-point lead over Jacob Wall. Ron Nelson has finished below 73rd, like, twice, I think, or maybe three times in his career. Uh, okay. 
he's finished 74th and 120th. Those are the only times he's finished below that. Those were both in his first year. Uh, hmm. So anyway, basically, Nelson, like, he would super need to suck it up for Jacob Wall, who's in second, to even have a chance. Uh, then again, stuff happens. Um, at, especially the Great Lakes. And uh, Jacob yeah, no Wall has had a phenomenal no year. Like, the guy's crushing it. Yeah, like, uh, you know, I think as easy as it would be to say, oh, I think we just hand Ron the trophy. Now, you're right. There's still a lot of things going on. Like, weather is a big factor at this one. Uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see the guys get four days of practice. Um, I think given that amount of time around, like, the islands in front of Sandusky or just even the bay itself, like, Nelson should be able to find fish to get him, like, probably, like, you know, above 50th. Uh, I mean, I fully expect Ron to be in, like, the top 10 just because it's Ron Nelson, but... Yeah, yeah, but you know, I like. I think he'll find what he needs to find. I don't think Ron will be one of those guys that is gonna make a haul to St. Clair, especially the first couple of days. Now, if he makes the cut, maybe Ron does some weird stuff because um, even if Wall makes the cut too, yeah, you know, that's well, pretty if much... he makes the cut and Wall makes the cut, it doesn't matter. It's game over. As right, long as Ron right. Nelson makes the cut, top fifty, that's it. Aoy is done. Now, yep. I was talking with Ron at uh, at the Mississippi, and he basically told me, he's like, there's no way I'm running on day one and day two. Um, at the same time, he's like, I was like, the problem is that if you're going to make day three, you might have to run on day one and day two. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, Ron doesn't have to make day three to win AOI. And, you know, really, I mean, there's more money on the line if you win than if you win AOI at the same time, like, I feel like AOI is, you know, worth quite a bit from a mental standpoint. I would say go ahead and win AOI. That's what if that's what you want to do. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I mean, this is this is gonna be a. Uh, it's an interesting tournament from the like AOI and tournament winner standpoint because, like last year at Champlain, you know, guys did run to tie, but like you also didn't need to run to tie. Yeah. Like to do well, you know, there you could catch fish all over Champlain. This is really weird because like you can either make a stupid long run to to Saint Clair uh, if the weather you know permits, and even if it doesn't really permit, you could still beat yourself up doing it and probably win the tournament or at least do really, really, really well. Or you really got to kind of like hunker back, uh, play it safe, and you can still catch really good fish in Erie. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like that's not the case, but we'll get to why St. Clair is super sweet in a little bit. But there's, I feel like the dynamic in this one is pretty cool from the like gamble of guys running, guys that are trying to fish for points to make the title, uh, you know, guys like Ron that are trying to win Angler of the Year, uh, and then you know guys that just are kind of out of it, especially the BPT guys. Yeah, you don't really have anything on the line other than don't like about it. Is the BBT guys like I like the I like the super tournaments. I'm in favor of them. At the same time, this one in particular, especially with the way the location is shaped up and the way sort of and the way you have basically two sets of groups. You have one set that can freely try to win the tournament, 
and it really doesn't matter. And you have another set yep. that absolutely has reasons to play it safe. And I think that that's, it's kind of like, usually those people are all sort of in the same field. And here, they're in the same field, but they're more separate than, you know, historically. So, yeah. yep. I, I, I think that that's a little bit, uh, worrisome's not the right word, but like, it's just kind of a little bit of a bummer. At the same time, there's a lot of things about this year that have kind of been a bummer. <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of the smaller, uh, one of the smaller things to uh, be worried about. Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I'm eager to see how Ron does in the last one. Uh, what the guys chasing him decide to do. You know, for most of the guys chasing him, well, for all the guys chasing him. They realistically very likely need to make like let's say the top twenty to catch him. You know, you it's hard to assume that Ron Nelson is gonna finish below a hundredth or something like that. So mm-hmm. for Wall, like the decision might not be, well, let me play it safe. The decision might be I'm gonna run as far as I need to run to catch twenty three pounds a day to put myself in contention to win this tournament and see what happens with Ron. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, we should mention uh, the Rookie of the Year standpoint standings as well uh, while we're on it. Um, sure. Kyle Hall, the forgotten rookie, is now in the lead. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, folks heard us develop in real time, I guess, what, two episodes ago? Yeah, uh, yep. But anyway, Kyle Hall, he's 17th overall with 776 points. 757 points now in 22nd. Overall is Jimmy Washam. Cole, our hero, Floyd, is 33rd overall with 735 points. And you've got Mitch Crane, Jason Vance, Laramie Strickland, Daryl Gleason, Kyle Kyle Gellis, uh, and then, let's see, Baron Adams, and then uh, Lance Crawford in 10th. Basically, from an, a Rookie of the Year standpoint, I would say it's probably, if you look at points, I would say, especially knowing like how Rookie of the Year has been much more volatile than AOI in years past, probably, honestly, anyone in like the top, you know, six or seven has a shot because stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. At the same time, yeah. like Kyle Hall probably feels pretty good going to this event because the dude is good at catching small mouths. He won at the Thousand Islands. I think he has zero fear of making a long run um and uh it seems like you know he's fishing well uh at the same time yeah like, for sure i mean cole floyd is cole floyd jimmy Washam has had a phenomenal season um and has looked like totally pro ready the whole time so i wouldn't count anybody out at the same time it sure looks like kyle hall like you know not, not only did he take the lead he might be well positioned to hold on to it. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, on another, just back to Angler of the Year note, real quick. Yeah, yeah. For anyone wondering, like, what happened? John Cox didn't fish the Mississippi River. Oh, this uh, is a good one to bring up. How How is he doing in points? Well, he's still thirty second. <laughs> so yeah. he's still very much in contention to make the title. Um, and like, honestly, I could see him doing well enough this week to uh, or this tournament to make the title uh, in which case he will go from Erie 
He will then fish the St. Clair Elite Series event immediately after that. And if he makes the title, he will have to go right from St. Clair to the title and pretty much start fishing. Um, he, he told me the other day on the phone that he uh, doesn't think he's going to do that well at St. Clair anyway, so he might actually get some practice for the title if he makes it. Uh, but he's pretty fired up, and uh, I think it's still kind of cool to see that, you know, old John, even though we missed him one one tournament, dude's had such a good year, he only fell to 32nd. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, poor guy, right? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely, it, he's had a very impressive year. And gosh, do I, I miss John in the Mississippi because, like, we're giving this to Ron Nelson right now. But if John was there, you know this would be this would be a race to the finish. Because there's no oh, way yeah. he's fishing the tournament of the Mississippi River and not making, like, the top 20. Mm-hmm. It's just too good for him. Yeah. So, I, that definitely takes a little spice out of the AOI race. Uh, <laughs> but, man, I hope that he crushes it in all these tournaments and, like, just, you know, turns into ultra smallmouth specialist. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Or he is literally, as of now, he's taken off the uh, four treks on his big water boat he's putting on an ultrex he is about to join the ranks of spot lockers he's gonna be <laughs> unstoppable now <laughs> um he put a very good post up on instagram where he's like he said uh something about brian thrift is the last one now <laughs> which i don't <laughs> know if that's a hundred percent a fact but it's getting there um brian thrift and rob's boat which gosh do i Tell you what, man. Troll motors that it's don't troll motors that don't have spot lock. We should just stop making them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Brian Thrift. You're wrong about this. <laughs> this is the one the one area I disagree with you. Um. Anyhow, what's our next topic here? Should we brush over Wheeler? I know you and Kip uh, already yeah. crushed that, but touch on Wheeler just a hair. Yeah, so Wheeler, the fishing was, like, obviously not super great. Um, From a standing side of things, Dustin Smith made his second top ten of the year, and he's now first in AOI. Uh, From a results side of things, um, let's see. Obviously, Carter went first, Harry Payton in second, Dustin Smith in third, Andrew Johnson in fourth, Lavoid Lemon in fifth. And, uh, let's see, I guess all those guys did catch our first, Dustin Smith only caught four on day two. Oh, side note about Dustin Smith only catching four. I don't know if you saw this. He threw back, like, four keepers on day two. He thought he had five the whole time. He did the opposite, where, you know how everybody has been keeping six fish? (laughs) Yeah. Didn't keep enough. <laughs> so uh, oh, math Dustin. continues to be an issue in the fishing community. Uh, let's say though, Smith, if he caught an extra two or three pounds, still doesn't win, but probably would finish second instead of first. Yeah. Um, which I mean, that's a couple grand. Uh, but anyhow, I think that kind of covers 
the uh, lowdown. Like it was a lot of kind of shallow, grimy Wheeler Lake summer kind of kind of fishing was most of the what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's shout out Casey O'Donnell. Finished twelfth. Uh, I was really just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Our boy. Um, Woo! Anyway. What's our next up? Uh, let's see. We talked about Do horsepower. you like big smallmouths? We talked about Wheeler. Maybe we should talk about BFLs and then Erie. I feel like we've kind of talked around Erie a lot. Should we just say what I it is like... and then dive into St. Clair? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So... Next week, the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit Super Tournament on Lake Erie takes place. It's out of Sandusky. It's the 11th through the 14th. Practice for that starts on the 7th and runs through the 10th. Four days of practice, which is intriguing. Gives more time for guys to look around a truly tremendously huge fishery. Uh, Also kind of gives them a blow day, too, which I like. Uh, I think I'm okay with four days of practice in the Great Lakes. I think I'm actually a fan. Yeah, I think I think I'm I could back that for uh-huh. sure. Anyway, so you got that's the situation. Uh, it's the final regular season event of the year. Uh, the title is not exactly the week after that, but kind of the week after that. Well, I guess two weeks after that, or like a week and a half or whatever. Um, but anyway, that's the uh, lowdown there. Uh, let's see. What's I was kind of thinking of something else and I've forgotten it now. Did I miss anything on that? Did that sort of explain mm, stuff? No, no. I think you, I think you did pretty good. All right. This is, but I think you were hinting at... Oh, yeah. So our main... You can also fish St. Yeah, Clair. our main storyline is you can go to St. Clair or you can go to the Detroit River if you want. And we've talked around it, but, like, what people decide to do and how good St. Clair is is going to be a huge factor in this event. Uh, yeah. Kyle, hit me. How good there is St. Clair? There was a... Uh, well, it is pretty all right. We had the second of uh, five Michigan Division events uh, held this past weekend. Uh, Buck Mallory won it. He had a limit, a five-fish limit, weighing 25-5, take home the title on St. Clair. Seems pretty uh, good. Seems does seem pretty good. He basically fished a 100-yard stretch and says, quote, I just did circles and circles and circles until I couldn't do them anymore, and then I did it five more times and caught one good one that got me the win, end quote. So dude really just, like, grounded out, drop shot with a Strike King uh, Z2. That's their little, it's like a fluke thing, um, but it's that Elastec, so it's stretchy and really durable. And floaty. Uh, That's yeah. it. Yeah. That, I believe and the, the floatiness is the... Uh... That's clutch. The key, one of the key things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Z2 is the little one, isn't it? The smaller of the two? Or is it the regular one? Uh, it comes in two sizes. On St. Clair, most of the guys... Well, no, it's, it's the 5-inch. Inch. So, I think yeah, most yeah. of the guys throw the 5-inch. They... Yes. The Z2 is the same thing as the Z-Man one. So, depending on whatever you want, you know, go for it. But the... Uh, I'm trying to think. They make also, I think, a 3.5 and a 4-inch model of that essential bait, depending on which one you want. One is like a scented jerk shads. One is like a streaks, maybe. And then I think they might even have a 5.5-inch. There's kind of a whole variety in there. But St. Clair, yeah. the 5-inch is the one that they throw most of the time. Um, 
it, that one definitely works. The smaller size also definitely works. Yeah, yeah. But either way, 25.5, pretty awesome day of smallmouth fishing. Second place was 24.10. Third place was 23.3. Fourth place, also 23.3. Wow. Tenth place in that event was 21.3. So the first St. Clair event in that Michigan division we had like a month ago, the weights were pretty meh. It was like 20 pounds wanted, I think. Um, and I think if anyone had just assumed off of those weights, like, well, I don't know, St. Clair's not as good anymore. Anyone in the pro circuit event, they probably wouldn't be thinking about running St. Clair. After this, uh, for those that didn't know uh, beforehand that St. Clair is really good, I think that made the decision that much easier to put some time in yeah, uh, at 20, least a day or two in St. Clair. 22 pros caught 20 pounds or better in this event. Gosh. Um, on the co-angler side, I want to say, like, the top five or six co-anglers, the top seven co-anglers, it looks like, caught yeah. 20 yep. pounds or better. Like, St. Clair, and this was out of St. Clair. Most of these guys, the vast majority, would have fished actually in St. Clair, all on the U.S. side, too. Like, Mm-hmm. It is yep. fishing incredible right now. And uh, yeah, that is so. going to be a factor come Derby Day. Very much so. It's going to be extreme it's going to be very interesting to see sort of like what people decide to do, what uh you know, how good the fishing can be given the limited amount of time that people will have over there. Uh but man, it's it's one of those tournaments where you're really glad that you're not making those decisions and you get to just watch it happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, all right, what's what's next? Uh, should we breeze over the Erie College event? Yeah, let's that happened. Let's do that. This so this one, uh, Bowling Green State uh, won. They caught sixteen one. Um, it was on Friday. They fished out of Sandusky. Uh, the weights in that tournament were overall not super great. I think they were good enough. There were a lot of like 15-pound bags, though. I'm pretty sure that they could fish in the lake. I'm not 100% sure. Um, yeah, that's what I was curious about. But I think they could fish in the lake. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If you can't fish in the lake and just none, nobody you know, ran all the way across to St. Clair or whatever which totally makes sense considering it's a bunch of college kids. That's not great. It's going to make that those weights will make the run to St. Clair very attractive. If they were confined to the bay, those weights are actually pretty interesting. Uh, yes. Because the idea that Ron Nelson could whip up a quick 16 pounds in uh, Sandusky Bay is like, you know, could be worth quite a bit. We should, we should check with Kevin. Yeah. We'll check with Kevin and find out. Uh, I'll send him a text right now. Um, so maybe I'll get an answer for that during the podcast. Otherwise, we'll let you know next week. Um, there was also a high school event. Same place next day. Zonieri, uh Bishop Hartley High School won it. They had almost 16 pounds. They had 15-15. So kind of right sort on par with the college kids and fishing it the day after the college kids. Um, again, like what you said, if that's kind of what fishing's like outside of Sandusky, like if you could fish in the lake for that, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to St. Clair. 
But if it's the bay, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, yeah, they could go to the lake. So that's a real, you know, it really makes you think you better turn and burn. Um, yeah. Yep. So, uh, but then again, there's a big difference between the best in the world versus, you know, high school and college anglers. You know, no matter. True. Like, true. There is absolutely potential that guys could figure something out this spring. Like, you know, Becker, Slagona, I think they both caught like 18 or 19 pound bags on day one, fishing right nearby around the islands. Um, you know, maybe more and more of those fish have filtered their way out to the uh, to Peely to Canada, but it stands to reason you ought to be able to figure out a way to catch. I mean, it's Lake Erie, man. You ought to be able to catch twenty pounds without going that far. That's that's what I'm saying. But we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> we are gonna find out. Um, and I guess that pretty much wraps. Wraps it up for this week. Do you have any other topics you want to uh, hit on or anything like that, Mr. Wood? Um, no. Uh, you did get a good out fishing. The other, you got your boat back. Yeah, I got the boat back. Still doesn't run very good. It's not fixed. It's, nice. Uh, like, it's sort of fixed. Um, to where I'm gonna fish it for a few days and then, you know, go travel for work a bunch and hopefully it gets more fixed by the time I get back. Um, that's my theoretical plan. Um, but I brought Eli in the boat for the first time. Well, kind of the second time. Yesterday I tried to have him in the boat, and I had him on the leash in the boat, and, uh, had it, like, just hooked onto one of my graft mounts, and he jumped out of the boat with the leash still attached to the graft mount, and, uh, oh, like, gosh. thought he was gonna go from the boat to the dock, and fell in between. So, he didn't like that very much. Um, Poor dude. But today he was pretty chill on the boat. Uh, You know, he was like kind of putzing around a little bit. He's not still not very interested in fish. I think he might not like it. I think he may not like the wind on his face when when we run. Because he curls up and always kind of tries to be in a non-windy place, which is very weird to me. Because I feel like dogs should be like, oh, yeah, I love this wind, you know? But. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm now thinking Did... about several things. I'm thinking about getting him goggles. Um, <laughs> I've gone full crazy on this dog. Uh, I'm also, <laughs> podcast listeners, I have a dog now. Uh, some of you probably figured that out. Uh, I'm also thinking I should get him a life jacket or something where it's going to be easier for me to lift him into the boat. Because. He jumped out of the boat once today. <laughs> we were like 100 <laughs> yards from the bank. And he's like, oh, yeah, here we go. And I'm just like, I'm fishing along. And all of a sudden I hear, Spoosh! and he's swimming across the water. He keeps. I did like your Instagram story of him just chugging towards shore, yeah. just going for Dude, it. Dude, you saw him swimming like so badly, too. He was swimming real vertical and splooshy. Yeah. And uh, whenever you give him like a purpose, kind of, like, when I was like, hey, come here, and he would, he swam back, I got the boat near him, and he swam back around, he, like, kind of swims well, so hopefully he'll learn how to swim normally at some point in time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was ridiculous. So I'm thinking I should get either a life vest for him, or, like, a harness to where, basically, to get him back in the boat today, when he jumped out, I basically, like, brought him around to the back of the boat, and I kind of 
like tried to basically I put one hand like under his stomach and one under his chest and basically swooped him into the boat like he was a big smallmouth. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh that's Which seems like a sound way to do it. It worked. At the same time, I got soaked because yeah. he was all wet. <laughs> Uh, so I feel like maybe a harness or something might be a better way to like haul him back in when he escapes. Uh, cause I don't want to try to teach him to like, Hey Eli, here's how to claw the side of my boat while you get in. That doesn't, <laughs> I mean, granted the boat's beat to heck, but it doesn't seem like what you want. You could get a little dog ladder. Now I've seen, I've seen them where they're like staircases, I think. Is that what it is, or is it, is there something else? Yeah, yeah, kind of. That seems like... They're staircase That seems like a lot to, like, carry around on a bass boat. Or am I totally missing yeah. the point? No, no, you're you're probably right. Okay. I feel like if I was going <laughs> to, like, duck hunt a lot of it, it'd be, like, a really good thing to get. Yeah, I have, like, a metal one that's big and clunky, and it has, like, a bigger platform it's like it folds down so it's like l-shape and there's like a bigger platform a little bit under the water and then a smaller platform that's basically like right at the water like surface of the water and uh it's super sweet but yeah like you said it is a pain in the butt to haul around i couldn't imagine like having it in the boat unless you like strapped it down on the back deck somehow yeah i think that that's kind of a non-starter i think the ideal scenario is that he just learns not to jump out of the boat. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Which I think that he'll probably come around to that in time. Sure, yeah. Because uh, he doesn't like, definitely he's not really afraid of the boat. You know, I, I I, have seen dogs much more afraid of things. Like, when he got shocked by the electric fence, way more worried about that than the boat. So, And now he's <laughs> fine walking by the fence. So I think that there's room for good progress on that front yeah yeah i think you're right um, as far as the fishing it was just kind of meh i i had basically three things that i was gonna do and two of them i thought maybe i could catch fish on and it'd be really cool if i did and one of them which was uh just you know flipping a big weight in grass i was like i know i can catch fish doing this and uh i did that for about you know, probably 20 minutes, didn't catch anything, and, um, which I still have complete confidence, like, if I was going to go out this evening and said, Jody, you have to go catch a fish, I know what I'd do, uh, <laughs> but I beat my head against the wall doing interesting things the rest of the time, and, uh, none of it worked, so, nice, <laughs> you know, on the one hand, good thing it wasn't a tournament, on the other hand, I'm, you know, I, I feel like there's, it's fun sometimes on a lake that you know really well to try to learn a to try to learn something about it that you don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I have been doing that a lot this year. Which is good. Sometimes it's like amazing. You're like, wow, I cannot believe this. This was... I mean, it's resulted in literally the best day of fishing from a weight perspective that I've ever had. Well, not actually the best, because, but one of the best days of fishing from a weight perspective I've ever had in Vermont. Definitely the best largemouth day I've ever had. At the same time, it, sometimes it results in this where... You know, you catch five or six little ones, and your biggest fish is like a two and a half, and that's yeah. fine, but not amazing. I will say, so I have a favorite rod this year, or recently. Um, I should, I need to look up 
exactly the rod to make sure that I get it right. Let's see, it's probably in scent. Uh, ideally, I can figure this thing out. Um, yeah, so I got, it's a 610, a favorite hex. This is one of the like, more expensive ones. But I've been kind of, I've, I've had it for probably, I don't know, like a month and a half. And basically the from a combination of the boat being broken or me not putting a spinning rod in my hand, I haven't fished it very much. Uh, but I actually fished it a decent amount today. I fished it a fair amount, but like two or three, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, it doesn't have a hook keeper on it, which really annoys me. Ooh. Everything else about it, I love. Like, at first, I thought the real grip was slippery, and I didn't like that. I've totally gotten accustomed to it now. It doesn't bother me at all. Uh, as far as, like, from a sensitivity and just from a fishing standpoint, it's really nice. You know, I caught a smallmouth in, like, 40 feet of water on a drop shot today. You know, it felt just like it should on any other high-end spinning rod that I've ever used. So... Sure. I was, which, I mean, that's not like saying a ton at the same time. Like, that's the kind of thing that you want to test it on. So, so far I would say uh, pending rave review, other than, come on guys, give me a hook keeper. I like putting my drop shot on stuff. I don't want to put it on the guides. You know. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, that's the, uh, that's the current review on that one. Still in progress though. I like it. Um, you got anything uh, that's not like tournament news related going on? No. No. No, I don't. Okay. I'm just getting ready to head to Erie. Yeah. Going to Erie. Uh, I think you're going to have a great time and I'll see you there next week. Because, uh, you know, Lake Erie, similar to how last year we should have bought a house at the Potomac, uh, we should consider <laughs> buying a house at Erie. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, I guess we could just live with Kurt, but I don't know exactly how close that is to Erie. It's probably a couple hours, I would think. Yeah. Anyhow, we got options, and uh, next week we're going to actually finish the regular season, which, honestly, there are times of this times this year where probably we didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As far as we know, we're going to finish the season, and it's going to be a blast, and someone will win AOI. Someone will win 125k or more. Uh, probably nobody with a phoenix will win because we're cursed to never give away the big check for uh, the phoenix <laughs> yeah, no. bonus that we all oh, get so excited gosh. about. Um, but uh, anyway, should be a good one. Agreed. All right. Well, uh, that being said, Kyle, uh, thank you for coming on. Obviously. I guess we'll probably find a way to podcast before next week but if we don't flw live is going to be rolling all four days should be phenomenal mm-hmm. uh flwfishing.com is going to be a great place to check all that out eli chill just a little um kyle we're almost done eli yeah kyle you are on instagram it's uh, kyle lumber i'm there it's jody blanco and uh i think we're in good shape I think so. Uh, safe travels to Erie, Jody. Um, and I guess, yeah, folks, stay tuned for uh, Hog Smallmouths because it's going to be sweet. And until next time, see you. <laughs>